everyone. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged. I'm your host of the most, as always, Adela Marcy. And today, I'm going to muddle my words. I'm going to trip over my own phrases, and I'm going to look like a fucking idiot from time to time, which is completely okay because I'm saying this with love. The person that we have on today, you guys can already tell by the title card, is the one and only Jesse Elder. For the people that don't know who he is, you are in for an experience of a lifetime. This dude is incredibly insightful, so powerfully magnanimous in the way that he speaks and how he delivers. And I got to tell you, I've been trying to get this guy on the show for some time. I had to build a few things up, make sure we had everything in alignment. And hey-ho, here we are. My birth month, I managed to interview him. And most importantly, it's the best interview that you could kick off your 2021 to because that's what we're going to be really going into and including a whole different other areas. With that being said... Please let me bring on the one and only Jesse Elder. Jesse, welcome to the show. I don't, so good to be here, man. Really looking forward to this. So glad to have you. Now, real quick before we jump down through this show, which I don't want to throw in with anything else, I'm just going to get the important-ish stuff out of the way. So for everyone listening at home, please share, rate, subscribe, review, tell me what you think about the show, because I can keep going on and send me guest updates, because... Then I have screenshots to send people. Be like, see, they're asking. It helps. Uh, the other thing, of course, this episode is sponsored by jessielder.com. Please head on over to jessielder.com. Pick up everything you can that you can afford because the man is absolutely brilliant. The mind vitamins thing is absolutely brilliant. I've been a fan of that since 2012. Uh, pre the show, by the way, this is actually part of it. And there is there are so many products, the time piercing, confidence, business, cult, ethical cult building. It, it's all in there. Just go spend like five grand and be happy. Trust me, it'll be, it'll be worth every penny. Now, that being said, my very first question to you, Jesse, is how are you this morning? I'm a little, little overwhelmed at the, the warm <laughs> depth of this welcome, man. That was, uh, that's robust. <laughs> Dude, I, I, I told you at the very, like right before we got on the show, I told you I'm going to fanboy hard in this episode. <laughs> Wow, yeah, 2012, man, that was the very, very, very beginning of uh, a lot of things for a lot of people. The end of the world, according to the Mayans. But, uh, yeah, I, I still think it was a dyslexic Mayan. I think he meant 2021. <laughs> you know. Yeah, just like flip the two and the one over. Dyspraxia just kicking in. Could you imagine he's in like he's in heaven or in his grave somewhere? Like He's like, oh, I'm sorry. Like all his other Mayan friends, like we tried to warn them. Totally, totally, totally. Oh, well, just love- really, really great to be here. You've, you've, uh, you know, just we've orbited each other for so long, and and we've got so many, uh, so many overlaps professionally, yeah. personally, spiritually, and uh, really looking familiarly. forward to where this goes. I was going to say familiarly as well. Like Adam and uh, Mikhail are like both brothers to me. I know they're both brothers to you because like Mikhail stayed at my place in 2019 when I first moved in here. Uh, weird fact that very few people know because you won't be able to see this until I release this video but the room we're in right now right behind me is my drum kit usually I have a much nicer camera but I left the tripod in Amsterdam uh, by accident this is where this is the room that Mikhail stayed in because this used to be my uh, my other bedroom <laughs> so I was like yeah just stay up there <laughs> go downstairs wow. yeah I met years ago he, he actually went through a, a, a mastermind that I was running called Gamma at the time and mm-hmm. uh, he's such an incredibly powerful person man Oh, so, he really is. But then again, he knows you and that just kind of goes to like show my point even more so than how great you are, which is excellent. So kind of going right off the beginning, because one of my very first questions I want to ask you is this idea around um, time piercing, because you do this thing with productivity that I don't really see many people do. I mean, the closest person I've got to is Ed O'Keefe, who did uh, time collapsing, which is another methodology of how to use time management. And of course, Monique, who has the time method. But I'm curious, what is it that makes time piercing 
so much more different than any, not different, but how does it work with you in a way that integrates almost immediately with anyone that goes through it? Because I remember when I went through it, it was like the next day, ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been a, it's been a beautiful and, and uh, at times unsettling journey because there's, there's, you know, there's no research on it. How do you, how do you prove empirically that you're connecting with a, an actual version of your future self, um, you know, without getting lost in the weeds and I'll preface everything I'm about to say with, uh, with, with two things that hopefully will frame this for the viewer and the listener and, and um, make it as relevant and, and useful as possible. Uh, my background is in martial arts and I did martial arts for 10 years growing up and competed in hundreds of uh, matches, dozens and dozens of tournaments. Um, and it was all Taekwondo and, and that was my first art. I trained in it for year, decades actually. But I had an experience about 10 years into my training. I was like 19 years old and uh, ended up getting jumped at this house party by some guy that had a little bit to drink and turns out that he liked the girl I liked and all this kind of stuff. And uh, basically my combat skills, which in my mind were pretty inflated because I'd heard good fight, good fight, good fight. I'd heard that hundreds of times. And so I thought I'm a good fighter until reality baptized me and I'm, my head's against the concrete driveway and this guy's just punching me and I'm thinking, man, he's going to get, he's going to get a foul for that. The referee, I'm not going to like that. And then I realized a second later, there is no fucking referee. I am getting my head bounced off the concrete. And it was, it was uh, a real wake up call. Luckily we stood up and I was able to get a kickoff. He dropped, I sprinted and I was, I was crushed, honestly. Um, I mean, I'm glad it ended well. He, he was fine. Found out later, but it was like my, my life as I knew it was over. And the reason I'm sharing this is because I had been exposed to many martial theories, many martial art theories. And I just accepted it because, you know, who am I to question my instructor? He's better than me. And it wasn't that they did anything wrong. They had just never actually been in an, a, a real fight, a real situation. And so this theory just sort of gets layered one on top of the other, on top of the other. Next thing you know, that's just how we do it. And that's our art. And it's very, you know, very siloed. Yeah, it's and very sacred to you. If you question the doctorate, you are seen as a person that's not good. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so the reason I'm sharing the story is because that, that night represented a massive turning point in my life where I realized I either have to stop teaching when I'd been you know, teaching for, for years at that point, uh, or I have to actually figure out how to defend myself because I can't in good conscience keep telling people, oh, this will work in a fight when I just got, you know. Yeah, so you got your ass kicked a little bit and you managed to win, but like it's, it's that wake up call. And I'm so glad that I did because it caused me to really question everything I'd learned. And I just, I just made a, a choice back then, and this will kind of tie back into this whole time piercing concept. I made a choice that I'm not gonna seek the truth anymore. I'm not even gonna ask if something is true because all I'd heard from all my instructors and then you know, even later on other coaches and then you know, spiritual teachers and all these things, everybody sort of seemed to have a corner on the truth. And yet they were all sort of saying something a little different and all equally convinced that they knew the truth. And so I just started to think, well, maybe truth is just purely subjective. So I stopped asking what's true. And I just started asking what is useful. And if it's useful, I'll use it. If it's not useful, I'll put it away. And so what I'm about to share with this time piercing thing may seem really far out there. Um, 
it continues to be the most effective paradigm that I've yet to split test against any other paradigm for productivity, fulfillment, uh, deep, deep, perpetual, like unfuckwithable joy. And, uh, and that's why I continue to practice it and why I can in good conscience share it and say, hey, if it works for you, great. If it doesn't work, great. I'm not here to try and prove anything. I'm not trying to enroll anybody in this. I just had found it to work unbelievably well. So first, that's the first thing I want to share is a little bit of context about truth versus usefulness. Uh, and the second thing is anything that I'll share from the mind vitamins to uh, ethical cult building and marketing a little bit differently or changing your, your what I would call the your uh, wealth frequency, like changing your feelings around wealth in, in every form. These are not prescriptions of, you know, do this, do this. This is a system that'll work every time. Everybody's different, man. Everybody's got their own path. They've got their own beliefs. They've got their own stuff they're dealing with. They've got their own ambitions. So who am I to say, here's the system. It's going to work for everybody. So this is not a prescription. Nothing that I share is a prescription. It is a description of what I've observed work very well for me and for the people that I've had the opportunity to work with. So with all that being said, now we can get into this whole time piercing thing. And um, was it, was, it was, I was going to say, yeah. before we jump down that rabbit hole, I just want to clarify two things here. So one, it's very interesting that you, like your thought process is essentially the same as Bruce Lee's in the sense of it's take what is relevant, leave what is not and apply that to the best ability. That's, I just want everyone that might be like, oh shit, yeah, this is how it ties in, it's perfect. But the other thing uh, that I wanted to like really jump in on right before we head down, head down this way, because I want to uh, leave no stone unturned. And that is the whole sense of with the way this works, I don't practice it 100% of the time. The reason is because I have my own junk that I need to clear out of, but I practice it enough to know that there is benefit in it. And that's the thing. Sometimes, like what Jesse's going to describe to you, what we're going to describe on the show, just specifically, even just this bit of that time piercing, no matter what we say, these are things that worked for us, the people around us. And for me, it's like shit I've tested to the nth degree because my brain is geared that way. Um, but ultimately, take it or leave it. Take what is there that works for you, leave what isn't right for you at the moment, and see how what you can do to the next level. Because as you mentioned earlier, getting into that fight put you on a whole different path, like a whole different path. Well, maybe you take something that one of us has said in the show, you apply, it doesn't work out the way you want it to paradigm shift. Now you have something new to build upon. That's the way it works. So before we jump into that, I wanted to make sure that was crystal clear guys. Let's go on. Cause I'm really, really curious about this. Well, I'm really glad you mentioned that. Um, so, so I um, have always had a, a pretty, pretty good relationship with, uh, with testing things and trying things and not particularly being, you know, really attached to one. Um, if I find something that works better, I'll do it. And I've always been interested in productivity and I did all the, all the, the main stuff out there, you know, all the, all the big names on productivity and it all, it made sense, but I found myself losing interest in a lot of it. And, you know, the, the stereotypical figure out how much you want to make per year divided by the hours you're going to work. And this is how much your work has to be worth. I was like, well, but I really like teaching class and it doesn't pay. What pays is the marketing and the selling, but I love teaching. So that was in a dilemma. It's mm -hmm. like, all right, well, I'm just going to do what feels right. 
And so following those feelings and, you know, sometimes you get a, a, an experience that you weren't planning, but it always turns out to be a good lesson or, or at least a great story. Yep. And so I've always followed that for, for most of my life and it, everything's worked out great. But about four years ago, I was in a bookstore uh, in uh, Encinitas of all places. And it was a very, uh, very Encinitas bookstore. So it's very, uh, you know, a lot of patchouli and, you know, it's just really like, like the, the womb of, of the West Coast, you know. It's Pretty just, much. It's, 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 all, it's all this one spot, by the way, for anyone that's thinking, this is, the, this is the epicenter of where all that calm goodness comes from in California. It's this one shop. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so I go in the shop and I, had, I was with a client. We were doing a, a private day there. And we stopped in the shop just to kind of take a break from strategy. And so I'm just walking around, just kind of enjoying the vibe. I'm like, oh, it's, you know, not really my scene, but kind of interesting. So I was just, wasn't attached to anything. And all of a sudden I see this collection of rocks. <laughs> and many times I've told this story, I always like cringe a little bit because I don't, it doesn't make any sense to me. I just know what happened. So I'm picking up these rocks. I'm like, oh, these are pretty, these are cool. And I pick up this one piece. It's like this long translucent white with these striations. I was like, man, this is cool. And I picked it up. I found out later it was called selenite. And I'm holding it. And I had the oddest sensation, a word okay. kinesthetically landed on my head. It was the strangest thing. And I hadn't had any entheogens, psychotropic, psychedelic, there was nothing else involved there to, to create some sort of synesthesia. But it was a kinesthetic experience of this word entering my head and lodging in my body. Wow. As many times as I say that, it still sounds weird, but I remember it. Like, like it was yesterday, yesterday. or five, six ago. Yeah. Yes. The word landed and it all of a sudden it was there. And the word was time piercing. And my first thought was, that's a weird word. My second thought was, that's a cool word. The mm. next thing I got my phone out and I'm Googling time piercing. I'm like, this has got to be a thing. Like maybe I heard about it, you know, maybe it's a song lyric. I don't know. So I'm, I'm looking it up, looking it up. And I go to like the third page of Google where results go to die. Like there's nothing on time piercing. And finally I find that there's like some obscure video game character or some like relic that this video game character uses. It was like time piercing, wow. So it wasn't anything, you know, it wasn't a, a book, it wasn't a movie, it wasn't a, a, a philosophy or a strategy, nothing. I was like, all right, this is interesting. So I just started journaling the word, nothing but the word. I just like, I like the way it felt to look at the word as strange as that sounds. Not at all. Dude, I have the same thing with the word mouse. Like really, by the way, just as a side note, I know we're kind of going off topic here, but we're going to circle back to this in a moment. Just reminds me why mouse is my favorite word and I'll explain, but time piercing, it, you like the okay. way it looks. I totally understand that by the way. I actually do get that. And there's a few things that we'll reveal on the show that I've not really told anyone else about. So Love it. Pretty love, love it. Well, I'm definitely curious now about this uh, business. Um, so I'm journaling the word over the next couple of weeks. And all of a sudden, what seemed obvious um, insights started to arrive. I was like, ah, oh, of course. I and mean, it was just like everything made sense. So what I began to experience and what I began to understand is that time as we, as we tend to treat it, is an agreement, but it's not a law. 
Mm. In order for something to be a law, it must be true everywhere, every time, without exception. This is why man-made laws are suggestions, they're agreements, but if it was an actual law that you couldn't go, you know, 56 in a 55, your car physically wouldn't be able to go with that. It wouldn't. So it's a suggestion. And I'm not suggesting anarchy here, but... Always. <laughs> That's why we brought him on. <laughs> so a law like gravity or, or you know, uh, certain principles, um, they're very, very consistent. And yet time is something that is, A, completely subjective. Um, you know, an hour and a day and a week and a month all feel different to different people, depending on where they're at. So it isn't this structured, finite thing. Uh, it's, a, it's a series of agreements. Children have no concept of time until they begin to ab absorb language from adults. And so when a child who's truly timeless and is completely present uh, doesn't have a concept of later or past or, or anything else until an adult says, hurry up. And the implication there, and it doesn't take very long for the child to kind of fit in and camouflage themselves into this world of adults, Hurry up means there's another place and another time that's better than this one. Slow down means this is a better time at a better place than another one. And so instead of being in their own subjective reality and just moving from one now to the next without any interruption, uh, which is actually a very natural way to live, children are impressed with this idea that you have to hurry up or you have to slow down. Mm. And so time is, is very much bound by language, very much bound by the words that we use. And yet we all have experiences and, and we're going to have one right now. We've all had experiences of either the past or the future. So how do we experience the past and the future? We experience the past through memories and we experience the future through imagination. Now, those are just words to describe an actual present moment experience. Because when you're thinking about something that happened in the past, you can only do it now. Yeah. No matter how far back into your past you want to go, you can only have that thought now. No matter how wild you're going to be in your imagination or how far out you want to be in your imagination, far out in both the mind-blown Bill and Ted far out or chronologically. Oh, I, I knew you were a man after my own heart. You literally mentioned one of my favorite all-time movies, so thank oh, you. Just a wow. huge Bill and Ted fan. <laughs> so if, if, um, if we're imagining the past, uh, if we're remembering the past or imagining the future, both of those experiences can only be happening right now. And I began to have these experiences um, very consciously and, and had always had pretty good imagination but something was different after I began playing with this word time piercing. Mm -hmm. And then something really weird happened. This was just like games for a couple months. I was like, oh, it's a neat thought exercise. And I was talking to some people about it and uh, I had some friends who were very skilled in NLP and they're like, oh, that's like timeline therapy. And I'm like, yeah, I think so. But no, something more that's there. And I couldn't articulate it. And then all of a sudden it really happened. I, I was in a pretty good meditation one day. And it just was revealed, I, I found it, it found me, something happened. 
And all of a sudden I realized that thought uh, is, is a vibration, just like everything's a vibration. And that sounds so cheesy and it's just like the quantum, you know, rip cord or no oh, quantum and nobody knows what the fuck quantum means. The best quantum physicists on the planet don't know what quantum means. So when people throw the word quantum out, it's just like, you know, it's like saying, well, God knows best for you. I'm like, well, maybe, yeah. maybe I'm your God. It's, it's kind so, of that whole thing that they made fun of in Rick and Morty where he's like, you mean the quantum carburetor? You can't use a science fiction word with a regular word and hope it means something. <laughs> totally, totally. So I, I hesitate to just throw the word frequency and the word vibration. But if we really look at it, it's, it's provable. I mean, you can, you can demonstrate this for yourself. You do Dude, Tesla did this back in like the 1930s. He actually even talked about it. And yeah, that's why I'm referencing Tesla. You guys can't see this yet, but there's a lovely little image that is, if I'm not mistaken, Tesla's lab. That is Tesla, yeah. yeah. So, so if, if you take you know, an ice cube, which is solid, and then it vibrates a little faster, then it becomes water, which is liquid. And vibrate that faster and it becomes gas and steam and it vibrate that faster it becomes plasma these are the four states of matter that we're familiar with but there's obviously aspects to our reality that are not physical and yet are very real we're having this conversation right now i'm yeah. on my laptop here and your camera there we're in two different parts of the planet and yet having this conversation at the same time and and yet there's there's not any strings attached to this. It's not like you know we've got the, the tin can and the string you know across the country here. So how is the, how is it happening? Well, obviously it's happening through data transmission, which is happening through satellites and and uh, towers and everything else. Which means that data is actually right here. So if I took my phone, which doesn't have any songs on it, in this text, if the if the song if the phone is here, but it doesn't have any songs on it it can still play whatever song I want it to because it just plays on the cloud, which means all the songs are right here. They yeah. have to be translated, received and transmitted. So just so I can simplify and clarify for my dumb monkey ass brain at times. Um, and I say that more because I refer to my brain frequently as monkey monkey throw poop at times whenever it goes into a hyperactive state, which is fun. Um, so essentially if, I, if I'm trying to get this right, it's very similar to what say what, I'd say similar, but different on so many different levels with Joe Dispenza's theory of like, we essentially have lived every moment that we could think of. But what you're saying is that while we still can do that, everything that you need and want is right here in the present moment, right in front of you. You just need to know how to decode that language and bring it to your own awareness. Because again, your brain only processes 2000 bits of information per second. Impressive. But considering it's missing out like nearly 14 billion, you're like, what am I really looking at here? Like how much information am I really taking in? So if my brain was able to say attune itself to our, as we will discuss in a moment, like the wealth frequency, so to say, and realize that all the wealth, all the money, everything I actually wanted was right here in front of me right now between my hands. Once I start to decode that language, I'll be able to move down that password, move that way along and have those things I've wanted and desired in this space. It's just realizing I can deconstruct that language internally. Yes. And, and getting rid of the bullshit. And, and sidestep linguistics altogether. Yeah. Because linguistics really slow down reality. Um, the, the, ultimate, the ultimate language is emotions, is, yep. is feelings. And so, and, so and, I, I know there's like a million and one things if I really want to jump down this nerdy little anime hole for just like a split second. It's 
actually probably one of the reasons why if you look at something like say dragon ball z or dragon ball super which is the latest stuff that's come out they have a move in there called ultra instinct which is entirely to do with how you feel it's like your body can feel an attack coming and will automatically move you out of the way it's it's um it's the flow state you get into with jujitsu or any martial art it's like you just see it coming which is again a distortion of time again because why is it one second feels like nothing to someone else, but in a fight, a second you can land like twelve or thirteen hits on someone. It, it's it's insane what speed you can you can go through in a small space of time. That being said, going to shut up and go back to what you were saying right now. Totally, totally relevant, and we are going to link. Uh, we'll we'll loop back in a little bit towards uh, change changing channels on reality. I mean, yeah. literally shifting shifting your frequency, and it's not hard to do. Um, so that this time thing memories and, and imagination, those are thoughts. If, and again, this is where it, it sort of gets into the, hey, don't trust it, just test it territory. Um, if all these states of, of matter, solid matter, uh, solid liquid gas plasma, well, if the vibration keeps going, then we end up with things like sound and light and data. And then we have x-rays and we've got, you know, all, the, all of these, these waves, which are measurable, uh, even brain waves, you know, we couldn't measure gamma waves 15 years ago. Mm. We didn't have technology. You know, if you yeah. look at, you know, articles that are written in the, in the 90s about brain waves, there's nothing about gamma. And the scientists are absolutely certain. We got beta, we got alpha, we got delta, we got theta, we got nothing about gamma. But all of a sudden, thanks to Moore's law, we we're able to peer deeper and deeper and deeper into reality and go, oh, shoot, there's this brain wave called gamma. So who's to say we're done? <laughs> like anytime somebody goes, the science is settled. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> hey, Ned, blood, luddite. You're just like, oh, it's finished. How many times have we seen something that was scientifically proven only to be disproved later down the line? Daily. <laughs> I mean, Galileo, Galileo thought the Earth base, uh, and it's, it's a reference because my brain loves references, but it's like a reference to It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia when Mac tries to prove there is a God. And he just basically comes out with, at one point, everyone thought that he was like the nips because he said that the earth was the center of the universe. But what happened when Isaac Newton came in, proved him like, proved him wrong because he's a, because again, science is a bitch. And he just keeps like, he just keeps proving it, which is hilarious, but very similar to you. It's that thought process. Nothing is finite. Yeah. Well, and the beautiful thing is we, we can use science to, to, um, make ourselves feel better. We can use science to help ourselves uh, develop a sense of certainty, but all science is history, yeah. period. Science is history. The moment it's been studied and, and looked at, it's over, it's already in the past. It has very little to do with your present moment or your imaginative experiences. So in that sense, science really slows things down, um, but it makes people feel confident, certain, and uh, ready to defend themselves against criticism. But if you can live a little more like an artist and just not give a shit about what people think, as long as you're you know, not hurting anybody and you're just living your life, you actually can iterate far faster and um, have a lot more fun. So with all that being said, thought as a visible, visceral, feelable, observable, noticeable, physical experience, where does that thought come from? And where does it go once it leaves your body? Well, what if it's like the song that's always there? You just got to tune into it, play it, and here it is. And if you're tired of playing that song, pick another one. Thoughts are the same thing. Um, I believe that every thought 
that has ever been thought still exists, but it vibrates at a level that we don't have conscious access to until we feel it. Most of our thoughts overwhelmingly are influenced and um, perhaps even, even manipulated or programmed by our environment. It's very rare for somebody to have an original thought, but it's not hard. It's just that most people are in a very reactive state where they see something, they feel the way they felt about it last time. They don't really inquire. They don't, don't start looking at their choices and maybe I don't even need to look at that thing at all. Let me look at something over here. Most people just kind of get stuck in these loops and that's cool. But thought, memories and imagination, if they are vibrating on a higher level than even sound and light perhaps, then that means that when we are consciously choosing to remember something, then we are tapping into a thought that is already there. Now, a little bit of a metaphor here, but it's, it can be useful in, in developing this as a practice. So if somebody thinks about a time they were 10 years old and they get a vivid memory, they can remember a specific scene. Maybe they were laying on their back looking up at clouds or maybe they were, um, you, you know, know. We can use a real life example of this because I actually do remember my first thought. Yeah. Yeah, I was three what? months old. I was basically in my uh, parent. I was in my bassinet. And my parents were sat either side of me. My auntie had just come back from the UK and I was in Africa at the time. And I remember the visual aspects. And the only reason I know that it's there is there's photographic evidence of this. And I've asked my parents like to know when for the last 10 years, like, was I dreaming? They're like, no, you remember this. That's all. It's just a small memory that you remember. Okay, well, this is, this is going to be awesome then. Excellent. So right now, you here today, um, you can think back to that moment. Now we're going to bookmark that three-month-old version of you. And let's, let's go to a more recent version of you who had this idea to start doing a podcast. Right. Do you remember where you were when you were like, fuck it, it's on, I'm going to do the podcast? Yeah. Where were you? I was in Plymouth in, London, in England, in the UK. And it was, if I'm not mistaken, March 23rd, 2013. That was the day that I decided. Okay, awesome. And can you remember a scene? Can you remember where you were? Were you in a, a pub, in a restaurant? Were you laying in no, bed? I was, I, was, uh, I was actually at my home desk. I remember just sitting there. Like It was very similar to the way it was set up now, but my bedroom was on the far side and my then girlfriend was on the bed and my two huge cats now were kittens. And I remember it. I, I, it was... Actually, the only reason I remember doing it was because uh, one of my, I was speaking to Ryan Levesque of all people. That's actually what triggered it was the fact that I was speaking to Ryan and he said something and I was like, I know you better than this. Why does the world not know this? Um, but we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. But that, that was the memory. Well, if you, if you hold that scene mm -hmm. and, and you really, like you can connect with it. And the more you think about it, the more visceral it will become. And you'll start to maybe even smell what you smelled back then and hear what you heard and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, if we go over to that version of you, that, that March 13th, 2013 version, you can probably tap in to that version of you or that moment and feel some imagination. Like you yourself then imagining what it would be like to do, in a, to do a podcast. Hmm. And so that version is imagining it and feels compelled and there's some energy and it was really cool. 
And now here you are today remembering what if his imagination and your memory are the exact same thought? Yeah. And he's experiencing it from his present and imagining his future. You are in your present imagining your past. But what if both of you are touching the same thought? Like you're, you're hearing the same musical note. And if thoughts exist outside of this agreement of time and space, then because of our, our brain's ability to access frequencies that are not limited to time and space. And there may be some people who say, well, the brain can't do that. I'm like, well, we don't know I, what the brain can. Last I checked. We the, don't the, know what the fuck this thing does to it, like fully. It's shrinking, not because we're getting dumber, but because we realize how much the brain is capable of. So I believe, um, based on my experience and, and having enough evidence to back this up uh, in, my own, in my own life, I believe that we are receivers and transmitters of vibrational frequency, um, very similar to a cell phone. We just can tap into whatever, whatever information we need. And I don't mean that like in a, you know, checkout channeling kind of way. That's cool. Um, I prefer being lucid and aware and actually strengthening the skills of memory and imagination. And where this gets practical, because, you know, somebody might be listening to this going, okay, this is kind of interesting, but, uh, you know, where's money? How do I make money with this? Well, you know, there's, there's a lot of emphasis on coaching and, and mentoring, and as there should be. Um, but ultimately, the, the most potent guidance, I believe, is going to come from the ideal version of you that's in the future, that's already made the choices, including maybe finding the right coach or finding the right mentor or finding the right book or... Yeah. And also, because uh, sorry, you are literally wrinkling my brain to quote Troy from... Uh community because I was watching that last night but specifically so if I'm not mistaken on this because you bit of a brainwave thought <clears throat> the way that I imagine this is imagine you're on a celestial long river like you're because I was in Amsterdam literally a couple of days ago so I can visualize the canals you're on a long ass canal that is your life except for you only think it goes from a to b but what you don't realize that just basically it isn't two-dimensional or three-dimensional, it's quasi-dimensional, meaning it travels at different levels and speeds, and you can turn left into the canal and start off at the beginning point again. But the truth is that thought, that water, that canal that's around you, essentially all you have to do, just as you did with me, all I'm really doing is touching into that vibration and frequency of what the thought was back then and what the thought is right now and seeing, oh, shit, okay, cool. You can actually visually represent exactly where you were so if I want to put in the version of me in the future and bring that back to me right now, the joy is that with this river, because it's continuously and quasi-dimensional, you can choose whichever dimension reality that comes in. I mean, like this makes way more sense for me as well, because on, uh, on Friday when I was flying, I jokingly said to my friends I was quite nervous about flying because I hadn't, I, I hadn't had the ability to leave the UK for six years. Uh, they lost my passport, weird thing. Anyway, took them six years to get sorted. I'm flying out. And the first thing I'd send one of my friends um, is I'm really flying. I'm really nervous about flying. They're like, oh, is it because you got to go through customs because you're brown? And I was like, ha ha, always, because I will make jokes. I do. I will get detained for making laugh, uh, to making people laugh. Uh, didn't this time though, which is good. But I jokingly said, I was like, you know what? If I, there's a, I'm flying into a thunderstorm. It's, th there's a thunderstorm in Amsterdam. 
if I if my plane gets hit by a thunderstorm and I die, I'm not gonna lie to you, we'll just confirm that God has a sense of humor. And I was like, what do you mean? It's like, think about it. He decided to give me the ability to travel when the world's in a pandemic state and you can't really travel. That's sense of humor number one. Sense of humor two is like, you've been waiting for years to get out of the country. You finally get out and I kill you. I'm going to find that hilarious. I'm like, if I was up there, I'd be pissing myself laughing. I'm like, ah, knew that humor would do that. <laughs> and in one reality, maybe I did die. But well, that's not the one I'm t- tuning into. The one I'm tuning into is the one that I lived in. This is so good because... We, we, we tend to think, many people tend to think that this is going to be my future. But it's because they're driving, looking in the rearview mirror. They're basing their future off of the, the past experience that they remember. And instead of, and you mentioned something really important, instead of for us to say, this is the future I want to see, well, why not ask your best possible future self to give you some love? Why not ask in a meditative state, when you're in this alpha theta border, uh, and we'll, we'll give everybody a, a, a copy of the a copy, like fucking Xerox, <laughs> give you a link <laughs> to a really good meditation, which will put you right there. Um, and and uh, you'll get ideas, you'll get insights that seem so abstract, so nonlinear, so completely outside of the realm of possibility, and yet infused with an unmistakable, familiar deja vu to the nth degree, like, holy shit, I I know exactly what to do. And what if that is catching the memory of your future self? And this is a skill worth developing. Massively. And it's one of, it's, it's basically the way that I like to as I said, dumb it down so my brain can understand at times. And that is the idea of essentially it's high level uh, visualization and practice is what you're doing, except for you're no longer just doing it from a frontal point of view. You're doing it from asking, like you are the coach and every player around you that's driving you forward. Essentially you are Michael Jordan, but you're not playing as Michael Jordan. You're playing as Michael Jordan as Phil Jackson sees Michael Jordan down the line. Yes, yes, because you have access to all these perspectives, which then leads to another interesting thought. Um, you know, many people will be uh, sort of, I won't say seduced, but kind of distracted by the idea that, that I'm all there is, and I got a memory, but that memory is over, and then I've got a future, but that future hasn't happened yet, so okay, this is cool, but I'm here, I'm right now. Well, my, my um, invitation to somebody would be, would be to think about this. You know, right now you're, you're there, you're sitting presumably mm-hmm. and you, your uh, elbows are maybe on the desk of the table, your yeah. feet on the floor, your, mm-hmm. your butt is in the chair. So would it be accurate to say that you are occupying three spots at once? You're occupying the floor, you're touching the floor, you're touching the chair and you're touching the table. Sure. Of course. So then how can that be true? How can it be true that you are occupying three places at once? Well, the answer is obvious because you are bigger than any of those places. Mm-hmm. You're, you're bigger than the floor. You're bigger than the chair. You're bigger than the spot on the, on the desk. And you, this body that, that we identify as, is touching three places at once. So you can actually feel all three places simultaneously. To take the example even further, somebody could put uh, one hand in a, in a bucket or a, a, a tub of cold water and another hand in a tub of warm water and they could be you know sipping a a cocktail and listening to vivaldi 
and be having four very different experiences all simultaneously because that's what, that's how we can process. Yeah. Another example is how many times have, have we all been on our laptops or on a computer and you've had you know, a dozen browsers open because you got SoundCloud cranking on one and you're downloading a cat video on this one and you're Zoom calling on this one and you know, you got a lot going on and it actually adds to the experience and yet each browser is its own separate experience. So here's the weird part. Oh, this hasn't gone weird yet? Okay, cool. <laughs> Just kidding, by the way, guys. I feel like fun. So check this out. If, if we, as, as a singular point of consciousness, can experience multiple browsers, multiple experiences through our body all simultaneously and not be overwhelmed, in fact, be, be expanded because of the experience, well, then who's, who's the you that you think you are? Is it your body? Or is it the energy that animates that body? Call it what you will, your soul, your, your inner being, your higher self, whatever it is. And if that's the case, is this body the only sensory apparatus that that consciousness is operating through? Or could this body be a browser having one experience while that soul is operating another browser called you in another time while operating another browser called you in another time. And since this consciousness doesn't have the limitations of time and space, it can be playing perhaps an infinite number of browsers simultaneously, just like we would have cold water, warm water, sipping a cocktail in Vivaldi all simultaneously. What if that consciousness can operate multiple browsers called you across timelines, then that means they're all happening right now because that consciousness isn't limited by the agreements of time and space. And yet the individual players, the individual browsers, the individual apparatus called a body, called a life is on its own timeline. But if all of those are happening simultaneously, then if you just lift up off the field, all the thought activity is there. And so every thought connects to every other thought. And the word connect even implies a false metaphor of space. There is no space. Where thought exists is no space. It's just a frequency. And so that means you can feel that frequency from different three-dimensional points of reference, which we call here and now. But the future version of you is not in the future. It's just over there. Yeah. Same time. Ultimately, same time. Subjectively, different time. And that just keeps everything from happening all at once. See, that's really interesting. And that was a little bit weird. And by the by, this is where having this podcast with you today was a bit dangerous for me. And I, I'm just going to let everyone know, this show is going to go on for a grand total of about an hour. I want to talk to him for two days straight. That That's where this because like I just asked a simple question on time pace and we're now like we've got this insane level of uh, experience which is brilliant. The other thing I was going to say was quite interestingly what you've just discussed is what I jokingly like to talk about is multiverse theory on my first day in heaven. Uh, well actually my third day in heaven. Day number one in heaven is always going to be conspiracy theories. I want to know exactly which ones happened, which ones didn't. That's day number one. Like because seriously, I, I tell this on stage as a stand-up comic, but I really do mean it. This is an actual thought. Day number two is gathering my friends on every plane of heaven that I believe in and just being like, guys, let's play a massive game of D&D, &D, except for we tap back into the earth in our bodies and we change one thing. Let's see what it's like. 
murder hornets pretty much or just like you know i would move myself over to the states and be like what would my life look like if i lived in like california and grew up there for one reason americans unfortunately have like the most and usually unearned um the highest level of self-confidence out there even though it's unearned i'm like that there is something incredible about, about that i grew up in england where we're basically told constantly not to go that way so could you imagine if an extroverted personality like myself grew up in California, what kind of world would that be in? So with that, and that world does exist. I just don't have access to it right now, which is why when I go to heaven, my whole thing is I open that browser up, let's go in there, let's live that, live that experience. The only difference is that experience won't be what I feel is a lifetime. It's just, it will feel like a lifetime to me. You, you might have more access than, than you've practiced. Oh, without a doubt. I'm just all that to practice really more than anything else. Because it's... it's uh, to me, the way I look at it, it's very similar to the first time someone gets high. The first time you do it, it feels weird. The more frequently you might have done it or the more you understand who you are as a person when you do it, the more different it becomes. So like uh, to give you guys an idea, my first trip on acid, I did on my own, which I got told very quickly was a bad idea. They were like, don't do acid by yourself. Why would you do that? It's your first trip. Everyone thought I was going to do something crazy. Uh, I, I did. I healed 25 years worth of trauma in the space of four hours, but you know, hey ho. Second time I did it, did it with my friend here and could not, it took me an hour and a half to like kind of go to the whole, I like you, but I'm gonna, like, I love you as a human being, but I need to go upstairs into my office and not be with you for the next three hours. They're like, why? It's like, it's hitting me in a place I need to go be by myself. Um, and the whole point of that story is quite simply practice, internalizing shit, letting go of trauma helps you traverse these realities a little bit easier. Yes. Like yes. yourself, so to say. Well, and, and, you, and you mentioned trauma, and, and, and we all have these, um, you know, you have an event, an experience, which is inherently meaningless, but we assign a meaning to it. And, yeah. and yet the, we get stuck in these pockets, you know, which is only largely held in place by language. So if we keep telling the same story, and, and how do you create a word? You spell it. So words are, are spells. Mm-hmm. And you use language to describe an experience, you reinforce the experience. Because we are relational beings and because our mirror neurons are firing constantly, when we use language to describe that experience to somebody else, we're constantly monitoring our limbic system is firing for how much attention are we getting? Because attention is the currency of transformation and we all wanna grow and transform. So when we get attention from someone else, we feed off of it. So if we tell a story that garners more attention, it doesn't matter if it happened that way or not. When we start using different words and get more attention, we start growing. And, and the, the side effect of that though, is that this physical trauma can continue um, cycling. If you change the story, you completely change your emotions. Uh, and if, it can, if, you can, if anybody can just experience one small degree of relief about something that happened, no matter how bad, painful, awful it was at the time, if you can change the way you feel about it now, you're actually shifting away from that old story. And uh, I've been absolutely blessed with some fantastic physical traumas. I wouldn't trade them for anything. Collapsed lung, torn knee, destroyed shoulder, like all of these things. And thank goodness that those things happened because they forced me to pay attention. That's all pain is. Pain is not a condition of life. Pain is an indicator. It's like the engine light. So, you know, you don't put duct tape over it. Like, I don't want to see it. No. Presence is the first role of pain. Presence leads to awareness. And once we're aware, 
we can begin to non-judgmentally develop new insights about what's happening or what happened. And then insights always lead to new options, new choices, new decisions, new behaviors, new results. But you can't just make a new decision unless you're present. So presence, awareness, insight, and new. That's the acronym for pain, and that's the purpose. So that is very, very powerful. And every like this is my third show in a row that I've had another ac- acronym thrown at me in like two weeks. I'm like, God damn it, I'm gonna have a lot of acronyms by the end of this week, which is great because it makes me happy because I love acronyms. By the end of by the end of the year, we'll just all be speaking in acronyms. <sighs> Pretty much would be brilliant. Um, unfortunately, our time is coming to a close, and there is one huge ass question that I was gonna ask you, mainly because you have a training around this, and uh, thankfully one of my clients bless them was like you need to really sit down and study with me on this one so i got to have a look at it and that was the confidence training you did a while ago yeah yeah that's a beautiful so so that's a powerful thing i'm not going to get you to explain it the same way that we did time piercing because unfortunately we don't have a time unless you're up for round two which i will happily have you back on for whenever you want but one of my one of my biggest questions i have on the show that i always ask people is life invariably i mean given what we've just discussed right now i'm going to take it out of that reality for just a minute and put it in a place where a lot of people kind of feel like they are. And I say feel, not because it isn't true. This is where they are. Life invariably sometimes kicks you in the nuts. It just does. Like your confidence will be rocked from time to time because you'll think I'm not as good as I can be. This is before you do all the cool time pacing stuff. My question to you is for someone that is going through that, what advice would you give them as a way of essentially using the pain acronym as well to regain their confidence and essentially protect put not put a bubble around it but protect themselves so they don't let negative forces steal away their joy yeah this is so this is so important man i'm so i'm so glad that you brought this up and it's a perfect way to kind of uh contain this uh first first interview yes Um, (laughs) first of many i hope because i would love to like seriously it's going to be an open link for you just like book on whenever you want to come on and talk (laughs) i love it thank you um the the so the first thing somebody usually does when their confidence takes a hit is it's very hard for, for people to compartmentalize their wins and their losses. And most of our, a lot of our wins tend to feel very global, uh, meaning it affects our entire life. Um, and a lot of our failures feel completely, you know, like it's just affecting everything. And so when, for example, you know, you, you have an argument with your partner in, in, a, in an intimate relationship and there's just friction and it's stressing you out. That, of course, is going to affect everything. You know, it's, it's like it's close to you, man. It's, it's tough to separate that out. But just because it's tough doesn't mean it's not worth it. And the, the phrase to use, because language is, is powerful, is I have a relationship. I am not my relationship. If it's something in business, lost out a big deal, you don't have the money, somebody quit, somebody, you need to fire them and you don't want to fire them or whatever it is. I have a business, but I am not my business. Now that's a tough one for a lot of entrepreneurs who identify themselves. I am my business. Well, actually you're not. It's, it's called a corporation for a reason. It's a separate entity, legally recognized as a separate non-physical body. So that means it's not you. You are you. That business is your business. And you may infuse yourself into it and, you, and vice versa, but you're still not your business. And a steady practice of reminding oneself 
I have a relationship, but I'm not my relationship. I have a body, a, a body but I'm not my body. Yeah. That's actually very powerful for healing. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, a, uh, I have a business, I'm not my business. I have money, but I'm not my money. I have a car, but I'm not my car. So detach from the area of concern so that you can get, not look at it objectively, but so that you can actually remember all the other elements of your life that are not totally fucked up. And this is a skill that is absolutely easy to develop. It actually feels better. So if somebody is having a hard time because of the deal fell through, the girl said no, the guy dumped you, whatever it is, then say, okay, I have a dating life or I have clients or whatever the situation is, but I am not that. And then from that point, then start to look at all the other things that you do have. And some people say, yeah, but you're just ignoring the problem. Yeah, genius, great observation. That's exactly what we're doing is ignoring the problem because until you find your alignment, until you find your center, until you feel lit up again with the fullness of your own being, what the fuck sense does it make to try and solve the problem from a disempowered state? All you're going to do is create more problems and your confidence is going to take a nosedive. So catch from the thing and focus on the other parts of your life. Go for a walk, go call a friend and, and go listen to some music, go make love, go make some music, go make a pizza, do something different so that you can develop some strategic ignorance around this problem and you can fill up your own tanks. That's number one. Then the next thing to do is if, if somebody really wants to change their feelings around this and, and get some confidence back, confidence comes from evidence. That's it. It's not, a, it's not a, a requirement for peak performance. It's a reward for doing stuff you've never done before or doing something well. So building confidence in something, you only have confidence afterwards. So making a list of things that you've done well today, make a list of things you've done well ever. And as you're making a list of those things, that past version of you who's doing the thing and did the thing, y'all are connecting through this, this you know, time piercing thing and you're actually feeling the win. You're actually feeling feeling again. Um, you know, NLP, they call it anchoring. You're anchoring the feeling. Um, I think that's a very Newtonian way to look at it personally, but whatever works. So if somebody is feeling the, the memory of the win or they're imagining something pleasant happening, which is just the memory of your future self, then in that moment, you feel better. And you begin to realize, oh yeah, I actually did do this. I actually did do this. Uh, something I do with people on, on the money side, you know, a lot of people wanna make more money. And uh, all you do is, it's very easy to shift your wealth frequency. Make a, a list or get your bank statements out and look at how much money you made in the last 10 years and put that into a single amount. It will usually blow you away. And you realize how much money you've made with no shame, no guilt, you're like, oh, I should have kept more. No, this doesn't matter. We're looking at production here, baby. So if you made X amount over the last 10 years, time has nothing to do with it. Time and money have no, no proportional correlation. They have no correlation. At all. Not, not, the one, not unless you put the ones where you put it on yourself. That's the only time that you have them. Exactly. Exactly. So those are a few tips on, uh, on restoring confidence. And uh, from that place, then it's very easy to go back to the problem and from a different perspective. I'm going to add one more tip on that. And this is one I picked up from you. And that is keeping a joy card. 
like yeah. keeping a card of things that you just enjoy. They're like your seven best things. I'm not going to give the whole thing away because there is a whole methodology to this. I urge everyone to go check out and like just say to the start of the show, I'm going to do it at the end of the show. Fucking go buy this guy's stuff. It's amazing. It's way more in depth. And real quickly before we wrap up today, because there are so many other questions I have, but uh, we'll save those for another day. I'm, I want to like finish this with a closed loop because I know I'm going to get an email from someone saying you didn't talk about the mouse thing. Why is mouse your favorite word? And I can see even you're looking at me like, are we get that? <laughs> so it's the weirdest thing. So like uh, I have synesthesia, which is something I don't really talk about a lot with people. Um, I, t- I taste colors. That's mm-hmm. the strangest thing is I can taste colors and I can, uh, I have a very sensitive nose. Like my, my olfactory function is very sensitive. It's also the reason I can't eat onions, which sucks for a lot of people, but hey, garlic is the best thing ever. So I'm fine with that. Um, it's the way it sounds like mouse, like the word actually follows the curvature of the letter M mm. as it's like the first bit comes up with a mouth, it goes up and then comes down, then back up again with the S and comes back down with the E. It's actually a perfect letter for the letter M. So it's one of the reasons I really enjoy it. Plus also try saying mouse like 20 times in a row, you either really hate it or you find it really like euphorically funny, which obviously I fall into the last category. But yeah, that's what I meant. Like I totally got what you meant with the whole like time piercing. When you looked at it, the word just felt I'm assuming it was straight lines and it was kind of like the sharp edges that kind of got you. You're like, I see how clean cut and sharp this looks. Very much. And even in the pronouncing of it, and I, I love what you just shared about mouse, man. That's so fucking good. Yeah, it with piercing as well. Like I can visually see something piercing, like it breaks through. And, and, and it's us that's breaking through. And, and, and we are piercing this thing called time and, and it's a veil, um, but we've, we've got access to it. And, it, and just the phonetics of it is, is fun, you know, time. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. Phonetically, it's great for the voice. I mean, just saying. I mean, I, I like saying the word time piercing. It's so much more fun. But with that being said, guys, I am going to bring the show to an end as much as I want to keep Jesse on for the next nine hours of his day. I know we have a lot of things to get, get done, but please go check out jessielder.com. Uh, please rate, review, subscribe, and share this show. Uh, check out the ones that we've done previously. There is a whole back catalog if you're brand new here. And with that being said, Jesse, thanks again so much for sharing your amazing wisdom. And I look forward to having you back on the show, brother. Thank you. Take care, guys. Have an amazing weekend. Bye, guys.